what's up what's up what's up y'all thought this was martin didn't you nope it's trap therapist the radio show welcome this is trap therapist the radio show with dalicia barner lcsw i'm the host of this radio show and the founder of trap therapist an amazing brand that showcases mental health professionals who not only look like you but are from where you're from As a licensed clinical social worker who was born and raised in the projects, it's important for me to create safe spaces for people who have similar experiences. Through Trap Therapist, I'm able to provide a platform for other mental health therapists from urban low-income backgrounds to transparently share their stories in a way that will humanize therapists and in turn break mental health stigma. Trap Therapist is unique because it confronts the reality that just because a therapist is of color doesn't mean they've spent any portion of their life below poverty level or in environments rich with violence and crime. So if you, like me and all of my guests, grew up in the trap but want to heal from it, stay tuned to gain mental health knowledge and inspiration. Hey everyone, we're back with a new Trap Therapist interview. We have Raquel Merritt. She's a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical addiction specialist in North Carolina. Raquel was drawn to the helping profession by surviving a tough childhood, living through many adverse experiences, and the desire to reach out and support others who may be living through tough circumstances. Over the years, Raquel has learned that the best thing she could do for anyone else is to better herself and be a living example of triumph and survival. Raquel is proud to be co-founder of Lightwork Resources Holistic Health Center and co-author of A Journey to Spiritual Health, A Guide to Finding Peace and Strength, available on Amazon. Raquel believes the answer to our troubles are found within ourselves. Welcome, Raquel. Thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the work that you do and the platform that you have. I think it's truly valuable and needed, and I'm I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much. You know, it sounds a lot like my journey, in a sense. You know, you said that having a tough childhood sort of prompted you to be a member of this field, and I think, of course, the entire trap therapist mantle is really built on the fact that I also had a, a tough childhood. So I, I think I love that the work that we and so many mental health professionals do are it's so passion-driven, but then prompted by personal experience, too, because I think that helps us relate to our clients a little bit more. Absolutely. I totally agree. What makes our work meaningful and fulfilling for us, you know, to be able to support other people who may be experiencing tough times, which we all do. So so it definitely makes us real and human, and it, it strengthens the connection uh, in the therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. So your title, Grandma's Love and Country Cooking, I can kind of guess what that means, but can you tell us a little bit more about why those are the two things that stick out to you and remind you of your childhood? Yes. Um, So for me growing up, I was raised very closely with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers. Um, And if we can talk a little bit about uh, my childhood, I come from, as you mentioned, the tough childhood, but I had a a bunch of adverse childhood experiences, seven out of the ten. So my mother was in active addiction and my father was in prison. So I was often, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with my grandmothers. And if any of you may know, 
um, or understand that relationship. <laughs> a lot of it is surrounded by food or yeah, you know, grandma <laughs> do a lot of cooking. So um, I learned a lot uh, about cooking. Cooking is one of my passions and, and one of my favorite hobbies. And I ate a lot of good food. So it, it definitely is a symbol of my childhood. And it's so funny you say that. I have a friend now, and she has a one-year-old daughter, and her daughter gets kept by her grandmother. And my friend's grandmother is in her late 80s, and she be cooking this baby salmon cakes and grits for breakfast. I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm like, how your child eating better than you? Because I asked my friend, I was like, so does she make you a plate since you like, on your way to work? And she's like, no, she doesn't. I just thought it was so funny because it's like spoiling the child's appetite. She's not going to be able to go to daycare and take the little chicken nuggets and applesauce they give her because she's used to this. So you're right that grandmothers, you know, or really even if your mom is a country cooker, it it really makes you not interested in, like, the food that's out there, the fast food and, and different alternatives. Definitely got to cook my own food now, and and I'm thankful for it because it does allow for me to eat more healthy these days. Like, I don't eat a lot of fast food. I would prefer to cook my own food, so it definitely sets a a pretty good um, standard as far as the quality of food you may like to eat. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, I love cooking, but then time sometimes can get away from me. So I have this big idea. I have all the ingredients, and then it's like, shoot, I got to do such and such. Okay, now we're going to have to get something out. So I think, you know, that happens a lot to me, but I do, I value being in the kitchen, like you said. I really do. Yes, yes. Uh, lifestyle does definitely, uh, it, it depends on our lifestyle because when we, we get so busy, we do often pick up things more more often than than not. So I definitely agree with that. So the work you do as a licensed clinical social worker is so intriguing. I'm a LCSW too, but I love how in the social work field specifically, we have so many options. Like there is such a wide spectrum of what we can do. I've seen people go into politics as a social worker. I've seen people, you know, have their own private practice. People do advocacy work, own nonprofits, be um, the head of rec centers. I mean, it's just so many things you can do. So can you tell us more about the Holistic Health Center that you and your social work and life partner, Donald, started together? Yes. So it all started, you know, as, well, let me say this. When I started to work with clients, I realized that, you know, so many factors go into a person's well-being. You know, it's not just their mental health, but, and we learned this a lot in our training, you know, it's systematic usually. So you got the person, but you got their environment and, and everything that they're engaging in. Each day you got the support system or lack thereof that they may have around them. And so there are a lot of factors that go into a person's health and well-being. So our, our, we were called to create a, a more holistic approach to healing, which includes a lot of mental health strategies and interventions. Um, we like to say we combine some CBT and mindfulness cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness techniques um, in our book. And so it's a self-help guide. It's called A Journey to Spiritual Health, and it really basically talks about 
the mind, body, and soul of a person. And in order to to get some healing, you kind of have to address all the all the whole person, the mind, body, and soul. So we talk about health and in dimensions, our physical health, our mental health, our social health, our spiritual health, and and we break the, those arenas down in our book, and we talk about a variety of strategies you can do to, to seek some balance across those four dimensions and how to seek some healing. So we, we published a book about two years ago now. It's available on Amazon. It's a self-help guide. And so then we, as we continue to work our craft and connect with other humans and, and just sought to expand what we were called to do, our art purpose, um, we opened a, a what we call the Holistic Health Center um, last month in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so our our goal for the Holistic Health Center is to be able to offer a variety of services and support under one roof. So we offer counseling and coaching as well as yoga, meditation, dance, art, and all types of groups and classes that wow. promote healing. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. I didn't realize that it was such a new project that it literally just opened. This is great. Thank you. Yes, we are. We just opened last month. Okay, that is so awesome. And Raleigh, uh, I don't know too much about Raleigh. I have some friends in the area, but I'm sure it, like many other areas, could benefit from something like this. So that that's amazing. I hope that you, you know, continue to get interviews and the, the ability to pub this because I think it's definitely something that more people need to know about. Thank you so much, and thank you for the platform and the opportunity to promote what we're doing on on your platform. Of course. So not only is the mental health field, like many other industries, female-dominated, but black people love black love. So that makes the work that you and Donna are doing together that much more intriguing. And from what you said, you know, what I've read about you, you have so many similarities. Both of you guys grew up in low-income neighborhoods. Both of y'all have high scores on adverse childhood experiences. So what drew you to one another and what keeps you together? Like, just tell us your whole story, because I'm sure people are out there definitely wanting to know. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, people are always intrigued by our story. Um, so I and his name is Donald Norwood, but I call him Vaughn, so you'll hear me refer to him as Vaughn as I'm telling the story. But Okay. Um, is that a middle name? Yeah, that's from his middle okay. name, Devon. So he's known um, – by Donald or Don and Vaughn as well, so okay. <laughs> just FYI. Um, so Vaughn and I met uh, when I was 19 and he was 21, and we were introduced by one of my very great friends and his cousin, who was also his cousin. So we, I was in, I was finishing up my freshman year um, in college at East Carolina University. And um, one of my very close friends introduced me to her cousin, Vaughn. And so we, you know, it started as like a summer swing, as as it may be called, and we just started hanging out for that summer that I was home. And then I was supposed to, well, I, I did end up going back to school after the summer was over. But we stayed connected, and, you know, we we stayed um, in this relationship that we started that summer that I don't think either of us thought would blossom, you know, into this family that we have 12 years later. Um, but we were... Wow, we 12 were, years. 
Yeah, we, we've been together 12 years, and, and we call each other, you know, we call our relationship a life partner relationship. Um, it's not, we we don't like to, um, we're not as traditional as, as some other people who seek to get married, you know, and, and call it a marriage. We we really call each other life partners, and, and we are bonded by our desire to be together and support each other and, you know, really raise a family and build an empire. Like, we're kind of bonded by our shared um, desires, you know, and our shared purpose. Um, so that's that's what keeps us together. We now have three children. Um, oh, wow. And so okay. Yeah, yeah. So so that's, that's what we have going on these days. And then three children. So your three children, are they young? Because, I mean, you're, you just started a business. It's like I know people are out there wondering how do you do all of that and have kids. Because I think we see where women or just people who are bosses in general sometimes have to make that choice between whether they want to have a family or whether they want to have the empire that they're trying to build. So I would love for you to speak a little bit on how you two balance all of that. Yes, um, you're definitely right. It's a challenge to, especially I can speak from the, the female perspective, it's definitely a challenge to still have a career and still have things you want to do in the world, but also, you know, maybe want to have children and have a family as well. It, it feels like a lot to juggle, and mm-hmm. I promise you it is a lot to juggle. You know, it takes so much energy. We also homeschool our children, so oh, it's a wow. lot. So you yeah. own a school too, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's what homeschooling is. Wow. I know. So it definitely takes a lot of energy, and some days I don't know, you know, where I get it from, you know, to to do all that I do in the world as far as career goes, and then to also be a mother. But I will say that. I joke that Vaughn is more maternal than I am because he spends a lot of time with the children. He does a lot of the caregiving, a lot of the homeschooling. So um, it makes my life a little bit more easier to to be a mom and still a career woman, uh, which is important to me, and I appreciate him for that support. Um, So that's how we make it work. We juggle our schedule so that someone's always at home with the kids. Um, So, you know, that's what we have going on. That's amazing. I think it's beautiful. And I especially love how untraditional you all are and the fact that you're confident in that because it's something me and my husband talk about a lot where there are couples who are not, um, you know, maybe they're not even a couple. Like they're just two people who have children together and it seems like they get more respect than us being married without children. So there's this idea that you have to follow these, you know, very specific guidelines in order to be recognized or acknowledged as a family. When in all actuality, a family can be a person and they're goldfish. It can be two people who just happen to live together and want to be together forever but don't want to be married. Like, I just wish that the world would open its mind around what that word means. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of women who in my office or even my friends that are, like, I feel pressured to have a child so that I can be validated as a person or so that my relationship can be validated. So I just love that you all, y'all don't participate in those labels, you know, or you as a woman don't feel bad that Vaughn is more of a motherly person than you. I think 
that's amazing, just finding confidence in that. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Trap Therapist, the radio show. Definitely uh, had to get comfortable in our own lane and deciding to, you know, really live our life based on our own values. And that is a, a courageous thing to do, especially in our society today. And, you know, it's quite a lot of pressure. Um, it's been, like you mentioned, for women to, to be a certain way, look a certain way, have, you know, have a family. And it, a lot of our self-worth gets hung on these things. But when we can find the courage and the strength to, you know, really be ourselves and live out loud and do everything that we want to do, that's when we feel most fulfilled, we feel most at peace, and we, and we really, um, you know, end up with a life that we're proud of. And you mentioned mm-hmm. how I do all the things that I do earlier, and I have to say that I had to get to a place in my life where I put myself first, right? So if I'm going to be a great mom, I got to take care of me first. If I'm going to be a great partner, I got to take care of me first. So I had to understand that everything in life that I wanted to do, I got to do that, you know, for my children, for my family, and I got to live my best life so that I can set that example one for my young people, that I, my young um, family members who are looking up to me, and then I have to actualize my potential and my purpose in the world because I was here for that. You know, I had to live right. that out, and that made me feel most fulfilled. So I had to get in touch with that, and I had to honor that every single day. I got to stay checking in about that. So then I don't lose myself, you know, in any title, in being a mother, in being a partner, in being a social worker, whatever it is, you know, I got to make sure that I'm staying connected to myself and my purpose. What do you think stops people from getting to that point that you've reached? Um, I think, you know, just the way our society is set up, I don't know if it's designed for people to be that free. You know, it really Mm. is a lot. Yes. (laughs) It is deep. Um, But, you know, from, from very young people, we are taught to go to school, study something, get a job, and get married and have children and, and do that and work the same job until you die. But that's not like living, right? That's not life. Mm-hmm. We gotta explore. We gotta get out here and just try new things and have multiple careers and and follow our interests and meet new people and you know and and while we're out here doing all that, we may be exposed to some things that change our trajectory. We just gotta be open to it and trust that everything that's happening to us and for us is leading us down a path that, you know, is best for us, and we're proud of all of that. So I think that the best thing I can do to influence, you know, other people to live their best life is is to live mine and to connect with other people like me, like you, and, and really, you know, raise the vibrations of our society. You are really speaking my language. <laughs> like, everything you said, I completely agree with, especially when it comes down to living your life and some, being open to the fact that that might not mean that you pick one thing that lasts you forever vocationally. And I think right. that there's so much pressure put on students to figure out what you want to do, you know, when you're 17, what do you want to go majoring in college? 
And they right. feel like they're making a lifelong choice when it's not that. Like, our dreams expire all the time. I might have wanted right. to be one thing, and then two years later, I want to go try something else. And I think that freedom and flexibility has to be embraced. But we do live in a society where it isn't. Yes, absolutely. It's just, yeah, I love it. And I love what you said about just society not being set up for people to be as free as you are. That, that was something, I mean, that was like a tough pill to swallow, you know, for people to really hear that, that they're in bondage because they're supposed to be. Like, that's what life is set up. And those who end up being free are the ones who refuse to take that for a yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's hard to control a people who do a lot, right? It's hard to Mm -hmm. keep that control. So... So it's in society's best interest to make us fit into a box, right, and to have have the social workers over here, have the doctors, have the lawyers, you know. But so it's easier for the masses to, you know, I, I shouldn't say for the masses. It's easier for for the people who control the society to keep the masses in boxes. But, you know, when we can recognize our full potential and that we're multifaceted, that we can have all these strengths and interests and gifts. Each of us have beautiful gifts. You know, we got to start expressing them and start following them. And that's how we feel most fulfilled. But there's so much danger in being free. You know, this, this concept, because just like you just said, you know, people don't like free people. It's intimidating. It's confusing. It's also very um, eye-opening to the fact that if I'm free, then I come around and you realize how not free you are. People don't want those kinds of reminders. So then comes in this sort of jealousy where everywhere you go, you know, maybe people are responding negatively to the fact that you're so free. And then just the social pressure of not being accepted or being isolated all the time, that can even convince you, well, you know what, I'm going to stop living my, my truth because people don't know how to handle me anymore and I feel alone. Like, that's, that's tough. Like, the free life is not easy. <laughs> that's all uh-huh. I'm going to say. You got that right. I was just talking to Vaughn about this last night. It's like, and, and, and I know that, you know, from a young age, I was different. And, and mm-hmm. I know some of you and, I, and you probably especially can recognize, you know, your gift from a young age as well. So I had learned, you know, maybe going into middle school, high school, that when I share my gifts and talents and ideas with other people, it definitely made them feel, you know, some type of way, you know. So I stopped sharing what I had going on with people. And then it, I did isolate and it was dark, you know. So I had to find a light in myself, and, and I had to agree with myself to not dim my light anymore. If there was something mm-hmm. that I wanted to do, I did it. If it was something that, you know, was calling me, then I pursued it and just let it let things fall where they fell. Yeah, I think that's the, the strength that has to come from it. Well, you realize, yes, if I do X, Y, and Z, I am going to garner hatred towards myself. But you know what? I don't care. I'm going to still do it. Because like what you said earlier, you were put on earth to fulfill the purposes that you fulfill in. God knew before he made you that you were going to open up the Holistic Health Center. He knew you were going to write a book. He knew you'd meet a guy named Donald. You know, and people and society can stop us from doing that. 
And I never right. want to live the life that society has built for me. Like, I, I don't even know what that life looks like. I'm uninterested right. in it. <laughs> yes, yes. But you mentioned, you know, how isolating, when you live your truth, how isolating it can be. But it also forces you to align with other like-minded people. So mm-hmm. if you are out here living your absolute truth, you will attract the right people to you. You will attract your tribe to you. And so you got to believe in that when it gets dark and lonely, you know? Yeah, that they're coming, you know, even if they're not there yet. And it might trickle in a few people at a time. Maybe right. you only meet, you know, maybe you only meet one or two in your whole lifetime. But I think, like you said, you know, I, I kind of would rather be with like-minded people than with a bunch of people who I know are not on the same page, but they're just there so that I don't feel alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what gets us off of our purpose, right? So when we are not aligned with, with what we're sent here to do and what we are called to do in our, inside of our spirits, you know, and we get distracted, like you said, by the haters or, or by what society want us, wants us to be and we get stuck in these boxes, that distracts us from our true purpose and that's when we feel disconnected and that's when mental illness and other sicknesses can come in. So it's very important that we understand our gifts and we and we represent them and we honor them so that we can live our, a most fulfilling life. I wonder too, so you mentioned obviously that childhood was tough also mentioned this concept of being free. I wonder if in your experiences it becomes a little bit easier to take those boxes off of yourself when you've had such struggle so early on. Mm-hmm. Yes, I was just talking to a colleague about this yesterday, and, and one of Vaughn's favorite quotes is, uh, those who, it's an Aristotle quote, those who go through the most struggle come out the most virtuous. So, oh, and it's, it's kind of like a diamond, right? So, so the, it, you have to experience a tremendous amount of pressure to become a diamond, right? You have to yeah. experience the world in a way that you understand the world, right? All of the pain, all of the sadness, all of the disconnection and the heartache, it's, it's all important, too, not just the happy times and, and the beautiful times and, you know, the times that make us feel good. We got to feel it all. And that is what makes us, it gives us the ability to connect with so many people and to honor so many paths and to respect so many people and to, and to help other people see their potential. You know, it's very important. Our, our lives and our experiences drive all of that. And that's why I love this work that I am able to do through Trap Therapist because I feel like there's so much strength in low-income communities that society doesn't seek to honor. But I know so many beautiful souls. I mean, I know that I wouldn't be the person that I am today if I hadn't had the challenging upbringing I did. And, yes, I get it. You know, I was a kid. I didn't need to be stronger. I needed to be safe and protected and healthy. But, you know, unfortunately, I can't go back and change any of that. But I do know that the person I am today is because of it. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of times people do try to box me in. And I'm like, my mom don't even do that. So I'm definitely not going to take it from you because my mom wasn't, she didn't grow up with a mother. So my mom wasn't really the type of mother to, like, tell you what you could and could not do. Like, she wasn't. 
she might tell you how she felt about it, but she didn't present in like an authoritarian type of way. So now uh-huh. systems, you know, I don't, I never, I'm a rebel against systems. Like if you tell me it's impossible, I'm going to go figure out how it is. And I think that's because I was taught to not listen. To, yeah. I was taught to not listen to any of that stuff. So and right. I, I just, I'm around people who didn't have the upbringing I did. And I'm always like, the way that they think is so limiting. Like, I don't even know how else to describe it. When you are poor and you literally have to make ends meet with nothing, you get real creative. And nothing hey. limits to you. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's an awesome point, And I never thought about it before until you just brought it up. You know, the fact when, when you grow up with, and for me, you know, my, my parents weren't there a lot of the time. Right. And, you know, Grandmothers can be a little bit lenient, we, you know, mm-hmm. with they get away with. So I definitely didn't have the the borders or the box uh, that a lot of people grow up in with parents who are a little bit more um, rigid with their expectations of the children. So I definitely understand what you're saying about that. Yeah, just interesting. Now, mm-hmm. let us get back on track. So <laughs> you talked a lot about children of the crack epidemic and then obviously healing from intergenerational trauma, which I think are two very huge and important platforms and pretty interconnected in a sense. So in your opinion or your experiences, where are those children now and how can they and then those of us who may not be members of that group but are still suffering from generational curses, how can healing take place? Well, I think that the children who are products of parents who got caught up in the crack epidemic are all around us, and and it's a variety of, of different trajectories that those children may have um, taken. So you, when you talk about the trauma and the generational curses, you can see a lot of that from the children who were uh, the survivors of the crack epidemic. So some of them fell into the same systematic trap that their parents did. So some of them are now incarcerated. Some of them are on drugs or have issues with alcoholism. You know, some of them are, are not here with us anymore. Some of them have serious mental illnesses, you know, but some of us are doing this work that we're doing uh, today uh, through social work or advocacy. A lot of, and we talked about how diamonds are made under pressure, and you talked about how our gifts are not always recognized, like from children from lower-income communities. Mm -hmm. Do they understand how beautiful they are, how many gifts they have, you know? So, we are out here now trying to figure out the the aftermath of the crack, crack epidemic, but there's a lot of beauty that has come out of it, too. And that feels like the journey that I'm on, where I'm here to try to raise awareness and to highlight all the beauty and all the strengths and all the talent that our young people have. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with Trap Therapist, The Radio Show. like a, a shift in our society where there's it's sort of like a art a renaissance of art 
and a renaissance of thoughts and a renaissance of beauty happening where, especially for people of color, you know, we're getting back to our roots and our naturalness and, and all the, the the beauty that we come from as far as our history. And and um, so so I'm just trying to do my part to, to welcome in that renaissance and that shifting of an age so that people can feel more freedom and they can recognize their gifts and we can use that to elevate culture. I love how you call it a renaissance because I think that to to those people who were part of the crack epidemic, you know, like our parents, I would say, Mm -hmm. it seems almost offensive that we're making the changes that we are so rapidly. So I I talk to my husband about all the time where I think, that some parents are offended that we want to be better parents than they would. And I don't Mm. think that says that, you know, it doesn't really say you're bad. It says I want to do something different. You know, I don't want to be as punitive to my kids or I want to emotionally understand them instead of being the person that provides and disciplines them. Like we're taking things at a different angle. And I do think that a part of that feels like a slap in the face. So I love that you described it as a renaissance because I I think if it was looked at as more beautiful than, um, kind of criticizing, then it will be embraced more because it is a renaissance. Yes. Well, you mentioned how to break the generational curses, and that's what we have to have to do. We have to um, really understand that we're taking things to the next level now. You know, our parents did what they did in their generation, so now it's our turn to take the baton and take it to another level. And that means that, yeah, the times are changing. We're doing things differently. It's all for the good, right? It's all it's all good. Everything is all good. Their experiences that they went through have given us this platform to, to now do what we're doing today and and it's a beautiful thing. I think it's beautiful too. And I think that we have to be okay with doing it even if it's not initially celebrated. Because I think for some people they have to see how it looks in the end. And we yeah. gotta be comfortable with our parents maybe feeling offended or feeling like we're criticizing them, and we still do it. Because I think that's how generational curses are perpetuated, is that Mm -hmm. somebody tries to stand up, but then there's too much uh, resistance, and they just sit down. Like, you know what, this ain't for me. I'm not going to be the one to do it. And I think it takes people like you and I who are used to life having resistance and don't care what people have to say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It definitely takes a courageous group of people to usher in the change but that that's like the definition of the renaissance right so when they read about our time in the history books or they say our children tell us about this they tell their children about this time you know it 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 would have already gone but but we are here right now to to usher it in and it's new and it's different it takes a lot of courage to do it but when we're when we feel purposeful we feel tied to to the work, right? We, we we know that there's nothing else we can do but do what we're doing right now. There's no other way. We have no other options. This is w- what we have to do. So it's a dedication to ourselves and to honoring every part of us. And also it's a dedication to those past generations that may not have been able to do it the way that they wanted to. So when I generally when I talk about my mom, um, of course she doesn't like to hear about it because um, I, I think it's hard, you know, to hear about yourself. But I do mm-hmm. say that I think she did the best that she could. Like I think she was an amazing mom considering 
what she had as an example and considering the resources she had. So that does mean that she might have messed up, but that I'm able to look at it from a healed perspective and know that she didn't intentionally mess up. But I think that by, you know, I, I remember growing up and she would say things like, I want to be different than my mom, or I want to make sure that y'all don't have sibling, sibling rival, rivalry like we did. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think she had the best intentions, but I don't think that practically she knew what steps to take in order to make sure that those things didn't happen. So, you know, right. after a while, her voicing that came, became silent. And, you know, in many ways, we fell right back into it. And, our, you know, she wanted to raise us well, but it, it, what ended up happening was the same thing that happened with her mom. And, you know, now there's conflict that has existed between us and between her and um, other siblings. And me and my siblings aren't close. You know, those kinds of things all happen, even though this lady had the best of intentions. And I think yeah. we are, as a generation, we are taking the good intentions and pairing them with action steps. And instead of viewing it as offensive or as we are, you know, being too transparent and telling too much about our families and our stories, in all actuality, we're just honoring what they wanted and couldn't do. And I think if it's viewed that way, then there's, it's healing for, for all generations. Like people that aren't even here anymore, it's honoring them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. So, although some people manage to be healers without healing, because that happens too. Oh, my God, it happens. <laughs> Where people are therapists and you just like, girl, come, how? How are you? But anyway, we're not going to go there. <laughs> I imagine you- I imagine you fall into the category where, you know, you are doing, you do light work of your own, just like you help other people navigate these really dark spaces. You've done the work yourself. So Mm. in doing that work, what have you discovered that you are at your core? What are you made of and where do you draw your strength from? Mm. So for me, I had to understand, you know, my beauty, right? And I think it, as a woman, it is sometimes hard to fully appreciate all that we are because society wants us to look a certain way, talk a certain way, you know, wear our hair a certain way, you know, be mm-hmm. married, have to do all these things. So it, it's a lot of uh, weight and challenge that gets put on us as a as a being, but I decided that, you know, I have to connect with what's inside of me and what I'm drawn to, what I'm interested in and what I value, and then I have to get up every day and go out in the world and express that to the world. So mm-hmm. when it when times get hard or I get tired, you know, I, I go to, I take a hot shower, I get in the bed and go to sleep, but then I wake up the next day refreshed and understanding that I have everything inside of me that I need to to be successful in the ways that I want to be successful. All I have to do is to be myself, right, and to let my mm-hmm. true talents, my true strengths, and my true interests shine, and that is all. It, it actually sounds too simple, right? Like, this can't be life, that I actually get up every day and do everything that I want to do, but that is the key, right? If we get stuck in, in these jobs that we hate, right, or in 
in relationships that we know don't feel good. Like, mm-hmm. that is not living our fullest potential. And I think, you know, we know when we're in these situations because they don't feel good. It doesn't feel good to wake up every day and go to a job that you hate. It doesn't feel good to open your eyes to a person that you don't really want to be there. You know, we, we feel that in our spirit. So we got to constantly be engaging in things that make us feel good. So I want to do work that makes me feel good. I want to have conversations that make me feel good. I want to do art that makes me feel good. I want to connect with other people, other like-minded people. I want to listen to uh, podcasts and interviews and radio shows that make me feel good. I want to surround myself with all things that feel good to me and that is aligned with my purpose and that's how I build a life that I'm proud of. I love it. And I love that you said, I want to have conversations that make me feel good because this makes me feel good. This, This is definitely one of those conversations, I think. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful conversation, that beautiful platform that you have, and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. Thank you so much. So speaking of platforms, let's say somebody's in Raleigh, they want to come by and visit the center, or maybe they don't live in Raleigh, they just want to connect with you and the great work that you're doing. How can they do yes. so? So we're on Facebook, uh, Lightwork Resources. We're on Instagram, Lightwork Resources. You can email me, lightworkresources at gmail.com. Vaughn, Donald, too, he does a lot of amazing work with um, youth of color, young black males, young uh, males of color, um, does a lot of, of, of great work with them. So parents, if you need support with that, please reach out to us. If you're looking for individual counseling, you talked about counselors doing the work. I I supervise a lot of clinicians, and I'm always talking about doing your own work, you know. So if you want to engage in counseling yourself and you want to do it with someone who understands your journey, um, you know, reach out to us. We're available for counseling, for coaching, and if you want to learn more about all the great groups and activities we have going on at the center, you can go to our website, www.lightworkresources.com, and there's a dash between light and work, so www.light-workresources.com. All right, and I'm definitely going to tag you all in, in any promotion so that followers of us on Instagram can definitely tie into your page as well. Thank you so So, much. So now we have the moment of truth. Everybody's like, so do I lose my black card if I don't get this question right? What happened? (laughs) I'm like, no, you don't. So like I said, trap trivia um, is just something I came up with in my little creative brain. I was like, how can I tie in mental health and the trap and have some sort of trivia game. So I started it um, with the first interview that we had, which was, oh, God, that was probably a while ago, sometime, sometime earlier this year. And I just started mm-hmm. asking trivia questions that I made up. So no pressure to get it right. Um, it's just something fun, I think, to break the um, ice of kind of the interview. And obviously mm-hmm. we're doing it on the back end, but whatever. So I'm going to say the question. If you think you know the answer, tell me what it is. If not, obviously, I'll let you know what it is. And feel free to be wrong if you are. Okay. <laughs> so this rapper has donated millions of dollars to education and wellness services in his hometown, Chicago. 
His charity, Social Works, allows him to provide $100,000 to mental health providers in his area. Name the rapper. Is it Chance the Rapper? It is. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, a hip hop fan, so I try to stay connected to uh, the hip hop artists. Well, you got that one, no problem. And it's funny because when I was doing uh, research for questions, I didn't know that he had a charity named Social Works. I thought that was kind of cool. So I wouldn't have gotten this question right if somebody had asked me prior to me knowing that this was a thing. (laughs) So good job. Uh, Right. Thank you. The thing that stood out to me was um, Chicago. And and then I know that he's um, quite – the philanthropist, so I was like, it must be Chance. <laughs> yes, it's Chance. I mean, he's doing some great things. I love his most recent album, too. I told my husband, every time I listen to it, it mm-hmm. uh, I've learned something different. Like, I'm like, that song been up here the whole time? Like, he just be adding songs every time I listen. <laughs> well, I love music like that. Um, I love the thought-provoking artists that you hear something different every time you hear that word. So, yes, okay. I agree. Yep. So thank you so much for interviewing. Thank you so much for all the insight you shared. I think this is going to be amazing for followers to listen to. So I really, really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for listening to Trap Therapist, the radio show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To stay connected to the Trap Therapist community, follow us on Instagram at Trap Therapist.